This week on Gym Ops Radio, Dave and Brian take a look back on their 10 years of owning Performance 360 and what they would have done differently if they were to do it all over again. Some hard lessons learned, where they failed in their decision making, and what it has cost them to fix. Perfect for anyone looking to start their own gym or lessons you can put to use as a current gym owner. Welcome to episode 53. This is Gym Ops Radio. Hey guys, welcome back to Gym Ops Radio. My name is Brian Pritz. I'm here with Dave Thomas. Today we are on episode 53 and we are going to talk about uh, everything that we would do differently if we were to start over. So if we were to uh, open up a gym for the first time, go back 10 years, uh, this is all of the information um, that we've kind of looked back and said we could have done differently or we could have done better. Uh, hindsight's always 2020, so um, we're sitting at that point now where we can look back and say, boy, we really fucked that up. <laughs> and uh, there was a lot of things, you know, I, again, consider ourselves a successful gym and there's just a lot that I would uh, do differently. And I'm sure that you would too. And right now, uh, going through all these changes that we've kind of been talking about over the last few episodes has really put light uh, into some of those things that we could have done better. So um, I'm excited to talk about some of this stuff. Yeah, it's, you said it very well that, you know, we're, uh, Hindsight is twenty twenty, and it's very easy to look back and be like, oh, I would have done this differently. And, you know, we talk within the context of, like, if we were to open a new gym today, what would we do? Um, if we were to open another Performance 360 or a different concept, like, what are some things that we would take that we've seen that are, like, unquestionably successful? We would repeat that every single day, no matter what. And then we've seen some things where it's like this has set us back from our ability to be able to grow or achieve X, Y, and Z or um, create either a minor or a major hindrance in some way. And so I think it's really hard for you and I to say like, we would do this differently as it relates to performance 360, because it's like that butterfly effect. You never know like what one adjustment might've done to change things. Right. And sure. Like some of these things, if we did them differently, like they could have resulted in greater success or they could have been detrimental and thrown us off course. There, there's no way to know. But we have chosen things that we feel pretty good about the fact that if we did them differently, they would have yielded either less headaches or more success. One of those two things, um, which is why we've kind of whittled it down to to these to this list in this episode. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, all these things are on this list because of the benefit that they would provide in one of those two areas, whether it's running a, a you know, more efficient business, um, you know, producing more revenue and a, a better bottom line or, you know, less headaches. And, uh, you know, we're at the point right now where we have, we have a lot of headaches, um, and we're trying to fix those headaches and it's a lot harder to fix those headaches when you've gotten to a certain point. Um, and we'll talk more about that specifically a little bit later, but, um, you know, when you've done certain things for a long time, it, it becomes a lot harder to go back and undo those things. So having done some of these previously, it would have saved us a lot of uh, pain and stress and headaches and all that stuff. Yeah, it's like the analogy of if you're trying to 
you know, like if you're trying to repair a bus while the bus is driving, uh, like reaching out the, I, I read in some book and it always resonated. It's like, you're trying to change the, change the wheel while the bus is moving. And it's like absolute chaos. And it's like the better alternative is to just take your time and actually like build something that is fixed from the get go rather than like, we'll fix it as we move along. Yeah. And so it's like, I think that's a little bit of an idealistic perspective to have, you know, there's never going to be any sort of like perfect setup to launch something, but you know, there are some things that, and I can even remember a lot of these when we were doing them thinking, you know, this is, this is probably not the best move, but it feels really good in the present. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of these things have come back around on us too. Like you said, be headaches. Um, and you know, it's, uh, not things that you really would just like totally overhaul, but if you just veer them into a slightly different direction, then they start to kind of autocorrect and, and be less of a headache and more of a producer and more of something that's a kind of a net benefit. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we kind of broke these down into different categories. So the first category uh, we'll go over is the model, and that's just kind of like the general model of what we do. Um, so why don't you kick it off with um, one of the things that you would have done differently? Yeah, I think, you know... Um, I think to kind of set the tone for the mindset of as we talk about things as it pertains to the model is it's important to understand that we had absolutely no idea what we were doing when we opened. Like we had concepts that we knew that were going to be successful and those concepts are still a huge part of the gym. But we did not know anything about like the deeper economics and finances of planning and projecting a gym. Mm -hmm. Like we knew members times revenue and that's what you can shoot for. Yep. But we didn't give any thought into like optimization of it, or we never really considered just how much of a challenge managing a very high membership would be. Yep. And so, you know, back then, 2010, 2011, the metric um, for success was much more based on like how many members do you have versus like uh, how much revenue are you producing? Right. Certainly, those two can be and are often tied together, but not always. And so, we were just constantly like, I remember we had that running membership count on a whiteboard in the gym <laughs> of just like constantly, like how many members do we have? Right. You know, we were kind of caught up in industry competition a little bit and we were just so focused on, on getting members like quite literally at all costs. Like mm -hmm. we would do, we would bend over backwards for people. We would cut them deals. We would just, we really wanted to get members because we felt very strongly that if you became a member, then we were going to make that money on the long term value of that person. Right. And that has been our model. That is how we make our money is on the long-term value of someone. That is that is still true. But the pursuit of members led us to do some things that were not necessarily in the best interest of sustainability. And so first on that list for me is class sizes. So, you know, we've talked a lot about the benefits of the smaller classes as it pertains to COVID and managing the health of that, but I'm just a huge believer in the smaller classes in general as just a model. And that is still yet to bear out at our gym how, how beneficial that's going to be in the data. But common sense and experience of seeing things tells me that it's much easier to form and keep relationships with less people in a room than it is with more people in a room. Mm -hmm. 
And so we would have 25, I mean, we would have even 30 person classes back in our first location. And uh, I would not have done that. I would not have crammed 25 to 30 people in a 1600 square foot room. (laughs) So, yeah, I still remember the chaos of those days. And again, like we talk about, like, you know, looking back on things after making a change for the better, you kind of are disclosed the poor operations of how you were doing things before. Um, and so when I look back, you know, we talked about it in one of the other episodes, just videos of our old classes. It honestly looks like total chaos. Like yeah. there is, it, zero, it, it is yeah, <laughs> zero. Like I cannot believe that we were able to keep members for as long as we did with no structure and 25 to 30 people classes at times. Like it's, it's mind blowing to me. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, one of the things I didn't really factor in is, you know, you and I obviously coach the majority of classes the first couple of years, and we're the owners. Every gym owner knows this, that uh, very few people are going to, uh, they're going to focus on creating the same experience that you would as the owner coach. And certainly some coaches do that, but very few do. And so it's like, you know, we, we were able to manage that 25, 30 person class. Like we had really good retention when we did that. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like a, we were messing up in the moment with that. But I think what I at least failed to project out is once this gets passed off to coaches, they're not going to th- – their focus is not on like uh, let me provide this experience so that we keep this person as a member. Right. And that's always going to be your lens as a coach owner. But a coach is just so singularly focused on like the fitness elements and components of it. So it's easy for those people to get a bit more stressed because they have 25 to 30 people to manage and they're like, like, how the hell can I do this? Right. And so naturally that experience is not going to be, quote, as good through no fault of the coach who's doing it. They've just been handed a completely unsustainable ratio of members to coach. Yeah, good point. So we created this, this model and this environment that was fine for us because like – we were okay in that level of high stress because we saw the financial benefit of doing so. Um, but once we passed that off, it, pr- it, it proved to be unsustainable. Um, and so I think if we just took a minute and said, you know, let's do 20 person classes, you know, I'm not talking about going down to like eight person classes. Right. If we did 20 person classes charged a little bit more, that would have been much more of a sweet spot. Right. Totally agree. So, um, and it's why like we've talked internally and uh, the, the the ongoing debate and spirited discussions on how to make our gym moving forward. And it's, you know, it lands on varying degrees between 15 and 20, but nobody's advocating that like we need to go back to these large, large scale classes. And I think there's good reason for that. Yeah. I mean, I see a lot of videos online of other gyms that, you know, are packing 40, 50 people in class. And, you know, I, I just don't see how that that's sustainable. You know, you might have some initial, excitement from the vibe but there's there's zero way to provide any sort of like deep relationship or structure to those people and you know at the end of the day that they're, they're not going to get what they need and they're likely going to go somewhere else um yeah yeah and those are the same gyms that are often coaching with like a microphone set on right and that's where i'm just like fuck off with that like <laughs> yeah. if you have to wear a microphone because there's so many people in the class like do less yeah um, you know, you kind of alluded to it, um, in your answer with that, but my first one would be, um, grandfathering prices and discounts, um, for contracts and stuff like that. So, um, 
we when we launch a new gym, we do a founder's rate, which is a heavily discounted membership um, to be one of the first 50 people or so uh, to sign up. And then, you know, usually when people join, um, the process has always been wh whatever rate you sign up for, that's your rate moving forward. Um, and then on top of that, we do we did a $20 discount for six month contracts. Um, so if we were to do that again, I would wipe all three of those off the board. Um, you know, that initial grandfathered price, uh, or excuse me, founder's price, um, you know, I would set a time limit on that. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's for your first year, maybe it's for your six months, whatever. Um, you know, we'll explore that on our next location. Um, but why are you laughing? Oh, I didn't even know you could hear that. I just, uh, this, I, I literally made a list of things to talk with Brian about for new locations. And, like these three things were on it. So really? it's like, it's just funny how like, we'll, we'll disagree on some of the minutia, but like, we'll always completely agree on just like the, bur the major things that matter. Yeah. I just heard you chuckling in the background. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it just, it's so funny. I was literally playing with a growth spreadsheet and it was like an old one had like 99 new member. And I was like, deleted, like, not doing that again. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that there is, uh, absolutely a case to be made for a founder's rate, um, mm -hmm. locked in for a certain amount of time, but you know, we have, we have people on memberships, uh, going back 10 years that are $59 or $79 or whatever it is. And it's like, that is not a sustainable model where that person is taking up, you know, a space in class at 59 or $79 a month. Like that's, that's just not possible. No. And um, just to clarify, we, that you can count those people on, on one hand right. in a sea of 800 members, but it is a good point that like we have completely just forgotten about that and it's, it can't happen moving forward. Yeah. Um, and so $20 discounts for six months. So I can't, I mean, six months is such a short time. Um, it is something that I've always just like thought in my head, like, you know, do we even want to do a six month contract? Um, you know, six months goes by so quickly, uh, that to give somebody a $20 discount per month on a six month contract, um, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And, you know, there can be a discount, um, just maybe not such a large discount mm -hmm. or maybe extend that term for a little bit longer so that you know that if you are giving that discount, you are guaranteeing a certain amount of revenue per member that comes in on that plan. Yeah, I, I just, I totally agree. I mean, our average membership is three times the length of six months. So it's like, we know that somebody's going to stay. Why are we discounting this? Right, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, just, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I also just like, I, I hate the use of the term discount, even though there's no other way to explain it because I, in reality, it's really just a swap. Like we're swapping your price for your long-term acquisition. Right. And so it's like, whenever gyms throw around discount, it's like the, the vibe of that is like, you're, you're just giving this money away. And so it's like, sure. We're, we're selling that at a lower price point, but because of the mathematics that add up that we're going to achieve this over the course of two years. So we're okay with that, right. but we're both in agreement that a, the $20 is way too much and b the six months is way too short. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it. We would, uh, you know, we'll discuss that when, with our new location and probably come up with uh, a different route on the whole pricing strategy. Totally. Um, okay. So that 
brings me to my next one, and this is just a little bit more kind of subjective, but I just would have been way more patient in general. Um, We were both super young. We were super excited to be entrepreneurs, very excited to be in business together, and we wanted to really prove what we could do. Um, So it kind of goes back into that point of so member-focused so quickly. We just like really wanted to see that membership count go up, and um, we sacrificed a lot of things and a lot of abilities to earn uh, by having that lower price point in that model that was so growth focused to start. And we'll get into all of them moving forward. I, I don't think this one takes up too much time. Um, but it, it's relative, excuse me, it's relevant as we kind of forecast for new locations and new gyms, you know, making sure that we have enough cash on hand so that we can be patient. I, I think it's easy to run into issues by limiting the amount that you do keep in cash because you want to keep that investment level low. So mm-hmm. you want to get that cash in through the door. And there, there's absolutely benefit to that. I mean, there's consultant consulting companies out there that that's their whole entire model. Um, so I'm, I'm certainly not dismissing that, but there's a, there's a balancing act. Like you definitely need the cash in the door to pay the bills, to get yourself out of the red. Uh, but it should not be at all costs. Um, and so I just, I, I just would have been more patient in general. Yeah, that that just triggered a memory that we ran a living social deal for a stand-up paddleboard boot camp <laughs> on the water. Which was sick, by the way. <laughs> Except for the two people that floated away to, a, <laughs> to an island that had to be jet ski rescued. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. But, you know, it was like, that, that was our mindset. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with being hungry and, like, one experiment on different ways to gain customers. Um, but like you said, you don't really need to put your foot on the gas so much that you're creating a stand-up paddleboard boot camp <laughs> on the water to try and generate some interest or uh, brand awareness, you know? Like, there, yeah. there's a limit to that. I remember Webb was on his paddleboard backwards, mm-hmm. and he couldn't figure out why he was just <laughs> immediately going in a circle every time he paddled. Like, he was standing on it the wrong way. Yeah. And he was just, he spent the entire class in the water. Well, he's, some, he's also like seven feet tall and yeah, 250 like pounds. Six, he's definitely like 6'5", 270. Yeah. Perfect for paddleboarding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, my next point is um, I would have focused more on the, I don't know exactly how to say this, merging the brand and the customer and putting that focus on that coexistence rather than putting the customer first at the expense of the business. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like the member experience guy in terms of like getting people set up, getting them on their way, acclimated to the gym or have been until um, just this month, actually. Um, and so my whole mindset was do anything at any time for the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I again, I don't think that there's anything wrong with customer first mentality in the sense that you want to provide them a good experience. But if that starts to negatively affect the business, then that's an issue there, mm-hmm. because we got into this business and built this brand because that's our baby and that's what we need to be successful with. So to say like we're gonna not focus on the business and take something away from that business so that the customer can have a slightly better experience. Um, I don't think that that's okay. And that's something that I've really been kind of trying to work hard at to say like, my focus is the health of the business. Mm -hmm. And 
you as a customer can coexist <clears throat> and both be happy and both get have what you need out of it. Um, but I'm not going to hurt one to help the other, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. You know, the way that I've always kind of, the way that I've always seen customer service and, and I would not even remotely consider myself great at customer service at all. This isn't my forte. It's not what I do for the gym. So I'm coming at it as an outsider. However, you know, we're not, we're not a charity. So it's not like people give us money and we do nothing for them. Right. Uh, it's an exchange of services. So you're paying us something uh, that does entitle you to an opinion on it. But we're also providing you with something. You know, you're coming into this gym, you're getting a great service, you're being, you're getting healthier, you're getting stronger, more fit, more confident. And so I've always, I've always remembered that. And I think it's very easy to like let customers take you off course and all of a sudden you're not what you are wanting to be about or not what you set out to be about. Mm -hmm. And it just goes back into that thinking of like, we just wanted members and luckily, and I think the reason why we were able to survive that high volume model initially is because we didn't ultimately lose sight of what we were and what we wanted to be. We did keep that, but it also results in just having to deal with like a lot of member bullshit mm -hmm. of just like constant feedback, constant unsolicited opinions. And you know, you, you you always obviously need to be getting feedback about your business, but in those early years, we were getting way too much of it. And like we, we would have like, we so wanted to be the business that was like the customer service place. Mm -hmm. It's like, I remember we would have like suggestion boards up on the gym and just like at every step of the way, it was like, tell us, tell us what we can do better. Like, tell us what we can do for you. And I think it really created a culture of, uh, I don't want to say entitlement because it wasn't that, but it made it very difficult for us to simply say, like, we're doing this because we believe it's in the best interest of the gym, and uh, here's why we're doing it. We hope you're on board, but uh, if you're not, then you might need to leave. And we just kind of, like, never really took that more assertive position our first few years. Um, so I, I definitely I definitely know what you mean with that. Yeah. Anyway. What do you got next? Um, All-inclusive everything. So I would not have done Mexican that. Mexican resort? All-inclusive, yeah, like sandals. Um, pay one price, get everything. So, you know, we have uh, multiple locations. Um, there's been times where we've had five, six classes in our lineup, um, and we've never charged a premium to be able to access multiple locations, to be able to access multiple class types. I mean, we've even done free nutrition coaching, just absolutely ridiculous things. To where it's like easy to say like, oh, this creates value, this creates retention. None of the data actually supports that. Yeah. So it's like finally stepping back and being like, these are these are services like that are above uh, above the norm, above the regular confines of a membership. And I don't want to spoil a future point. We always believe in providing more value um, than we're getting back, but we just massively overcorrected that mentality and just have always. Uh, given away the farm with memberships and certainly, certainly in those first, you know, uh, five, six years, I would say. Yeah. Everything that we or somebody provides as a service is time. And that time costs somebody their time and money. Um, so to just give that away for free is kind of ridiculous when you think about it. Um, and that 
kind of segues into my next point of um, I wish we had started some new revenue streams earlier. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you had just mentioned, you know, we used to give away nutrition. Um, you know, that's a, a revenue stream that can be very profitable on its own. Um, and we, you know, we've dabbled in it here and there in the past, but like we've never really come set a strategic plan for how to uh, execute that and make that just an entirely different revenue model. And then on top of the nutrition, there's, you know, other things that we're experimenting with now, 10 years into the making that we could have started way earlier and learned a lot by now so that we could be like just cruising on that side of things. Definitely. And I think, you know, when you give, when you give so much away as part of the membership, it just becomes so much more challenging to then charge for that later on. Yeah. Because there's that expectation that, wait a minute, you know, I, there was one point where I didn't have to pay for this. So why do I have to pay for it now? And I think folks often don't realize that, uh, you know, a business takes a loss when they give that away for free. Mm-hmm. You know, that person is, is either losing their time, the nutrition coach. It means they're allocating their time for free um, and not getting compensated for it. It means the gym is giving away actual product for free in the form of a body scan, which costs few hundred dollars per month to operate so customers don't care about that it's it's when they see that they don't have to pay for it that becomes a very difficult pattern to break and it's it's definitely understandable and it's why you know it's going to be you know we're, we're behind we're behind in offering nutrition and you know our, our whole philosophy with rolling things out has always been like just get it going good now and worry about making it great later mm-hmm. but nutrition's always been the opposite it's like we've always waited for this like perfect stars to align in order to create it and so um both of those things i think have just cost us the ability to to not only diversify the revenue streams earlier but also just speaking to that general customer expectation of you know, you're going to get great value at this gym, but you are going to pay for services that are relative to their value. And we're not just going to give things away for free because of a certain sense of maybe expectation falsely that you might have with the gym. And and we've definitely contributed to that. And um, it's 100% our fault for doing that. And certainly something that is um, has been a correction over the past year and will continue to be a correction moving forward. Yeah, and those corrections, they really take time to kind of adapt and take hold. Um, you know, you mentioned setting expectations. It's like, because we messed up some of those discounts and grandfathered prices and stuff like that, it creates a pretty big headache right now because, you know, somebody who may be paying, um, you know, $30 less a month for their membership, um, tells their friend, Oh, I'm only paying this much. And that friend is trying to join and they're like, Oh, my, my friend's only paying that much. Like, can I get that price? Right. And then, you know, you're just setting that initial experience up to, you know, let them, I don't want to say let them down because obviously like the value that they pay now is worth it, but you still have to go through that conversation to acquire them of like, I'm sorry, we can't do that. Um, So those, those changes, they, they definitely take time to really take hold. um, And we're still going through some of that with, with our pricing. Absolutely. Um, one big one for me is, you know, when we, you mentioned it earlier, when we started the gym 10 years ago, we were so excited to just have our own company and do our own thing and, um, launch us and get members and all that stuff that for me, I, you know, I 
didn't even really know about this stuff, which is hilarious because I have a marketing degree uh, from a good <laughs> university. Um, but like nobody ever taught you branding. Um, and so for me, I would have focused more on setting up the brand to be something that you can build long term. Um, and that's everything from the name, the logo, um, to just like how we presented the gym. Um, and that's kind of a vague term, but like never once, I mean, we probably didn't discuss branding until like five years into the gym. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, if we were to do it again, I would, I would go back to the drawing board and, and really think that through, map that out and, uh, kind of create a strategic plan for that moving forward. Yeah, our dirty little secret is that we both hate the name Performance 360. <laughs> like, again, I, like I love branding now. I have such a like deep interest and passion for learning about it. But back then, I was like purely just a personal trainer, and that's just what I called my personal training business. And I specifically remember having a conversation about the gym name, and we were just like, ah, we'll keep it. You're bringing these clients who know you a little bit. We'll make their we'll make their experience more familiar that way Mm -hmm. and like i didn't think like it might be kind of bad to have a name that takes six syllables to say (laughs) and so it's like (laughs) then we had to be called p360 and i absolutely hate that because now all of a sudden there's f45 and there's all these letter type number things there's there was p90x that came after and so it's like there's definitely that association of like that garbage right and that is where that's what i cannot stand and so does that have anything to do with anything? Probably not, maybe a little, um, but I just, I totally agree with that. Like we definitely rushed that and we thought like, oh, if we call the gym something different than like all these clients that we're bringing over are going to leave. First of all, it was like 15 people. Yep. And second of all, that makes no sense that they would not come over just because the name is different when the person training them is the same. Right. So just dumb things, dumb decisions that you make when you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. I'm going through and uploading all of our old documents, uh, to make them digital versions. And so I've been going through like all these old, old forms and stuff like that. And I just like, I cringe at that logo that we had, um, oh, the circular one, the yeah. circular one with P360, like just so cringeworthy. Um, yeah. but you live and you learn train, eat, play. Yep. Live, laugh, love. Yep. <laughs> Our slogan was the fitness version of live, laugh, love. Yeah. Before <laughs> before live, laugh, love really existed, though. Yeah. Um, all right. So that wraps it up for the first category of things we would change under our model. Um, okay. So moving on, talking just a little bit about locations. So this will be just kind of a shorter point. Um, it, it Once again, the common denominator is just that focus on members. But I would not have opened a second location as quickly as we did. Um, I would have waited. And I would have increased prices first because we would have, A, learned the comfort level of increasing prices. And we would have, B, made the model more efficient and maybe, C, not needed a second location. We've run the numbers on this many times and concluded that the second location was absolutely the right move for many reasons. First and foremost, the profit that was made off of it. Uh, it was definitely the right move, but I just wonder how much of that move could have been improved if we didn't uh, just marinate on that, marinate on that. Like I would have gone back and I probably would have waited a year, to be honest, because if a business is truly sustainable, it's truly successful and it really needs a second location, waiting a year is not going to do anything to like kill that buzz or kill that momentum. Yeah. 
Um, so I, I just, I definitely would have waited on that. Yeah. I mean, you know, going back to that kind of member first at all cost mentality um, that I talked about earlier by expanding too quickly. I remember like, you know, we were at the point where classes were full, um, you oh, know, they were more than full. Yeah. More than that full. was like the 30, sometimes 33 people in a class. Yeah. And so, you know, natural response to that is we need more classes and we can't do more classes in this small location. So let's get another location um, where, you know, yes, that allows us to house more members and grow uh, quicker. But if we had just taken a step back and said, well, hold on, like, let's optimize this current location as much as we can before we move to that next location, then we'll have a better running business to then transfer over to that new location. Um, and it would have saved a lot of headaches that we're still still dealing with today. And I think, you know, I, I think this is when you run into issues when you make major business decisions when you're the owner slash coach. Uh, I, I think everybody needs to start out in that role. But staying in that for too long is just – it's such a negative to the business because you're going to bring a conflict of interest to making decisions. If you're making business decisions, then you shouldn't be the person who's also running the operations on the floor. And I remember I was still coaching very heavily at that point because we hit that 400 – I believe it was 450 members. I believe we hit that before three years. And so we were in this small square footage spot, and we needed to open up a second location for those reasons. And if I was just objectively like standing back from that and just looked at that, I would have said, "Wait a minute, prices need to go up." Mm -hmm. But when you're coaching and when you're you know you're so hands on and interfacing with the customers, like there's part of that that you don't want to be unpopular. Like you don't want to make a decision that's going to affect your. Um, dynamics with folks that are in the class with you or that may be upset that their price went up or anything like that. It's just such a conflict of decision-making when you have to make both of those decisions. And I think it's kind of a two for one on those points. Like I wouldn't have stayed a coach for as long as I did, but I also um, wouldn't have let that influence what probably would have been a better decision for us. And that was to just mildly bump prices up, lose a few folks who were there solely on price and continue to refine the service and the product before expanding. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard when you're on the floor and you constantly are dealing with customers or, you know, in my case where I deal with them virtually through email and kind of customer help there, um, you, you really are not able to see the big picture sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're constantly dealing with those micro communications and, you know, you lose track of like, what, what would the smart business decision to be? Because there's so much emotion involved and there's so much, um, you know, relationship type mentality involved where you're dealing with those customers every day. Mm -hmm. So it, it really takes that broad look away from your ability to make decisions. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, one of the things that I would do location wise is spend more on, and I'll just call it build out and upgrades um, when going into a new location. But what I specifically mean is just not looking at cost as like, how are we going to get this location up and running at the lowest possible cost? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean like, you know, spending a million dollars on build out and stuff like that. 
um, you know, little things like for me, my, my biggest pet peeve is flooring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we always run the numbers on like two different types of flooring and we always come back to like, well, this one gets the job done and it's cheaper. So it's like, yeah, no brainer. Um, but now looking back on it, it's like, let's just say, let's just say hypothetically flooring costs an extra, like five grand, which I don't think right. the price difference is that much. Um, you know, it's a little bit trickier to manage and clean and take care of. And, you know, we probably spend, I want to say an extra, I don't know, hundred bucks a month on cleaning mm-hmm. just because it takes longer and it's harder to deep clean those. So you, take a hundred bucks times 12 months. Um, you know, you got yeah. $1,200 a year that's going toward, towards just extra cleaning costs. And that's let alone, you know, any other issues that you might have with it. So very one small example, but there's a lot of little things like that when building out a new location that if you just maybe take that next step up and get something that's going to be a little bit more everlasting, um, and easier to manage than the, you know, n- next location where we're doing that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so funny how this is great because like we're inadvertently planning our growth together right now, <laughs> and uh, wasn't even on the agenda for this episode. So <laughs> yep. I love this. Yep this this is gonna be a write off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so my next thing on locations is um, I'm gonna be honest. Like I really whiffed with Bay Park, and that's I'm gonna pump the brakes and provide context for that because that location is amazingly popular. I love that spot. It's our biggest spot. It's our nicest spot. And it is our most popular daily spot. But I did not realize just how close it was to our Ocean Beach and our Crown Point locations at the time that it was opened. And it was kind of an area of San Diego that I wasn't super familiar with as far as like the different roads to get places. And I massively overlooked this one road called SeaWorld Drive. Ah, <laughs> uh, that, that little fucker that winds through the area. It turns out that we had three gyms off of SeaWorld Drive. <laughs> and so it's not quite as cut and dry because it's a little bit of like a circular mixing bowl that you had to get to these gyms. But I could have left Crown Point, or excuse me, I could have left our gym in Bay Park been at our gym in Crown Point in six minutes and been at our gym in OB in 11 minutes. And you don't need a gym zero, six, and 11 minutes as far as a stopwatch to get to all three. Yep. And so, man, we were seeing this big time when we, pre-COVID, we, uh, I wish I could explain the, the geography of the locations, um, but I can't, so I'll just leave it at this. Crown Point was completely cut off. We had a gym directly to the um, east, the north, and the south, and to the west was the water. (laughs) So um, there was no reason for anybody to ever join the Crown Point gym once we opened up Bay Park. And so it, it completely cannibalized the Crown Point location, and we started seeing growth really almost immediately stop over there. Yeah, And, you know... COVID came and it forced gyms to cut a lot of expenses and our Crown Point lease happened to be expiring about two months after COVID hit and it was the perfect opportunity to just get a mulligan on that and say, we're going to take this. <laughs> we're going to close Crown Point because all these members can go to Bay Park and we think that they're going to like it enough and we got saved by that. And I, I truly like if we, 
if we kept Crown Point and we had these four locations and they were all within reasonable proximity, I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure how things would be going right now. Um, I, I don't think they would be going all that great. I think we would be really, really hustling and grinding to try to correct the model in a way that it made financial sense to keep all those locations. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is the product of that growth mentality that we've always had, where it's just like members, members, grow, fill gyms, do whatever we can to do that because, you know, we were, we've always grown at a pretty fast level because of that. And so we thought, you know, another location, even though it is close to the other ones, will, um, you know, we, we've been growing so much that we'll, we'll still be able to fill this new one as well. Um, and I think that you're absolutely right. Like COVID kind of saved our asses with this one because now that Bay Park location is, um, it's so central that it, it allows a lot of people to go there, which is our biggest space, our most COVID friendly space when we had to shut down or go outside to all locations, we had better outdoor space there. So it allowed us to stay open to some capacity um, and really just bailed us out of that. So um, I'm just going to call that just a great decision. Um, <laughs> nothing I would do differently because we knew COVID was coming. Um, you know, we planned that out. Maybe COVID was, was from us in our lab. You never know. <laughs> yeah. It's an, it was definitely just very, very lucky because I remember we were we were having some tough talk about what to do with Crown Point even before COVID hit. Of just like, do we want to close this and merge this into Bay Park? Um, and I just remember we were so scared to do that because of like uh, the the perception that it's like this gym that's been quote like kind of like invincible for ten years is closing a location, and we right. were just like so fearful of what that would look like. And it's it's really amazing just what something like a pandemic for a year can do to put everything in perspective and make you realize like just how much of like petty petty bs worrying about perception is and just whittling down decisions to the absolute necessities yeah i mean that was the match that lit the fire of like okay we can make some big tough decisions and get through it and it's not going to be as big of a deal as we think it is because i know up until that point it was like every decision just felt like you know, if, if we do this, we're going to go under. Right. And that was the first thing that was like, this is Which the is just ridiculous. Yeah. Like this is the biggest decision we'll ever make, or maybe not we'll ever make, but that we have ever had to make. And, you know, we were projecting like membership losses and stuff like that. And it was just like, wow, this is not nearly as bad as we think it is. Right. Um, and so that kind of like reframed our thought process to be like, we can make other tough decisions because we know that it's not going to be as bad as the worst case scenario that we play out in our head is going to be. Right. And not to go off on a tangent, we're 10 years in, we've played through many worst case scenarios and um, it very, very rarely manifests into that. And I think that's an important takeaway for listeners who might be pondering a big decision is uh, more people will be in support of it than you likely realize. Yeah. Good point. Um, all right, so that's two categories down, things we'd change about our model, things we would change about the overall scope of locations, and now we move into technology, and I'm just going to put my headset down for like 10, 15 minutes, <laughs> go do a couple other things, and I'm just going to let you rant about the uh, different softwares that we've used. I, while well, I could go on for hours about this, um, I will keep this pretty short and sweet. Um, Not be- if I have anything to do with it. <laughs> I mean, it is really fun to just like, tear mind body apart 
Um, and I hope some someday some of them listen to this somehow or whatever. But um, yeah, like I had an email exchange with them this morning and I just like, I knew we were going to talk about something mind body <laughs> and I wanted to like send them a link to our podcast and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, uh, technology. So the software that you use in the back end does and basically, how do I say it? It's going to do, it's going to cause you to make a lot of decisions that you might not want to do if you don't have the proper software in the yeah, back end well said. Well said. to start it off. Because what we thought when we opened it up 10 years ago was, you know, this is just a software. It'll just run the business, all that fun stuff. Um, and it does. It, it does the things that we need to do. We've gotten to where we are with it. Um, however, we have now kind of merged together. I think we have like four or five different sets of software that we manually merge together to create what should be one automatically functioning software. And so this requires a full-time job just managing this. Um, I actually just got off the phone with another software company earlier today and they showed me their demo and um, you know all the functionality and every like major category and topic that they talked about I was like yep I'm doing that manually right now yep I'm doing that manually right now and you know the common theme of that was like I know we get a lot of mind body customers that um, are like really frustrated that it can't do just like basic things that you think a software that runs your business should do um, so point being um, you know, my, my first point is we would have gone with something with greater flexibility, but I would almost turn that into, we would have jumped ship when we had a better opportunity mm -hmm. uh, a long time ago, because like I said, it got the job done. It still gets the job done. It's a, it's a nightmare to work with, but you know, four years ago, five years ago, we had our first conversation about like, is this the right software moving forward? And again, that fear of changing something or making a big decision uh, personally stopped me from just taking that step. And I, you know, I see these other softwares come out and do so much more than what ours can do. And now it's just like it's so frustrating because it is double the work, double the headache, all that stuff. If we're to switch over now, which we plan on doing, anyways. Um, but had we just done this five years ago, this would never even be a topic on a podcast. Yeah. And I just don't think it's one of those things. You don't know what you don't know. Like right. we didn't know all the complexities that we were going to need the software for. I mean, like we, sorry to cut you off. Like given the time 10 years ago, mind body was like, it was mind body or what Zen Zen planner. Yeah. Exactly. Which Zen planner looks like the same as mind body. So, um, yeah, we didn't have a lot of options. Yeah, exactly. And to our, and you know, to, to your credit, um, when Jim switched softwares, most of them do this with like a hundred members, and we were looking at doing this with up to a thousand members. And so that's a much more daunting task to switch all those people over to get them acclimated to a new system. To wonder how many people are just not going to want to fuss with this. So it it was a legitimate concern. Um, I don't think you were wrong in that concern at all. I think that we just didn't know we, we didn't know what a software could do for a business, and so all these things that we've been doing manually that you've had to invent these processes to automate. We did an episode, I think four episodes ago about automation, which is 
excellent. I recommend that people listen to it for all the things that you've talked about doing. But we've also spent so much time and so much, you, you said it with it takes a full-time job just to manage the support that's needed to support the gym. Right. And, you know, it's like, this will get into one of my points in a bit, but, you know, it, it, anytime that you're kind of sucked back into that hole of all things, quote, back-end support, it's like you disappear into that and... I almost feel as though I'm running the gym by myself. Mm -hmm. And it's like whenever you exit that, when you can pop up for air, things are just so much better because there's two perspectives on decisions. Obviously, we have three now with Lenny, um, but especially just back back then when we're talking about the context of this. And it's it, the, the, the gym was just run so much better, and it would have been worth whatever cost it would have cost financially to switch systems and also just uh, whatever it would have cost – from a timing and headache perspective. Right. Um, so I'm definitely excited to be hopefully switching softwares and systems this year and excited to see like what all that does for the overall improvement of things. Yeah. And my next point, and I'll continue to talk a little bit about that too, but I would have invested more in processes and automation. So whether that's the original software, um, whether that's add-ons, whether that's custom things, um, we have, you know, MindBody built a branded mobile app for us, which we actually don't even use because we built our own. Um, yeah, thanks for nothing. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I always get scared with price because, you know, we'll, we'll get a custom quote for software and, um, you know, let's just say hypothetically something costs 10 grand and it's like, man, 10 grand, like that's quite a hefty price tag. Um, but if you look at like, you know, let's just take mind body, for example, if you're paying 500 bucks a month, you know, over the course of a year, that's six grand right there that you're paying. Mm -hmm. So to elongate that over the life of your business by actually investing in some of these tools, you are saving money over the long haul and likely increasing retention, likely, likely increasing revenue, likely reducing staff costs. Um, so when you look at that as a total package, Yes, something might cost ten grand or twenty grand or whatever it is right off the bat, but it will save you way more than twenty grand in the long run. And as an owner, I just don't think you can I don't think you can overemphasize how important your time is to make decisions. And when you're dealing with less, I would put all that under minutiae. You're able to deal with much more uh growth-oriented things, uh, things that have the potential to really propel the gym forward rather than just things that are needed to keep it where it is because of all the support that's needed. Yeah. Um, and I would say, like, you know, big takeaway here is if you're somebody that has a software or has a platform or anything that you use that is not perfectly designed for what you need it to do, you can find something or build something else that will do exactly what you need and it'll save money in the long run. Nice. So I'm excited to see what comes of it. Yeah, me too. I'm terrified as well, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it goes. I'm going to make us listen to this episode again when the inevitable decision happens where we have to make a decision to do it and then we talk about backing out. Yep. And if we move forward with the software, I'm going to build in some fun functionality to mess with you. <laughs> so that, like every time you log into the app or something it like gives you the middle finger 
I am. Who knows? I am unmesswithable <laughs> at this point. Over the past year, all the shit that we've had to deal with. Yeah, right. It's just, I don't feel anything anymore. So that's good. <laughs> it's great for your wife and baby that's coming. <laughs> All right, so we got three categories down, the model, the locations, and the technology. Uh, moving into our fourth and final category, uh, all things just kind of hiring, culture, uh, vibe in the gym, if you will, uh, as it mainly pertains to uh, the, the staff of people that work there. And so um, off the bat, I'm starting with a pretty pretty big one. I would, have, I would have made the barrier to entry, so kind of two-part. Uh, for our member to conversion program, member to coach conversion program, give folks who might be popping in for the first time. Uh, this is a completely streamlined, documented process that we have to take members and turn them into certified, trained coaches. Um, we did this back to when we started because, first and foremost, it was an absolute necessity. Ten years ago, there was no certification you could get that prepared you to coach group functional fitness. The closest thing would have been CrossFit, and at the time, um, and quite frankly, still is, CrossFit Level 1 is not very good. And that was also our competition back then. And so it was not viable for us to send our coaches to that certification to get trained to be a coach. So we really had to legitimately create this whole market for ourselves. So I'm very glad that we did it, but if I were to do it again, I would have really taken a good hard look at two things. First and foremost, I would have made that barrier to entry much higher for members to become coaches. So, you know, it was literally like, hey, I want to coach. Are you a good fit? Are you a good member? Great. Here's two You're months. You're on the floor tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, I was going to say it's, there was about two months of training that did go into it, uh, but a lot of that was ongoing training. And so it was certainly like a analogy I made before, like fix the bus while it's already moving. Yep. Um, I would have definitely made that higher. I would have made coaches invest their own money to be a coach. Uh, I was like so scared to do this for some reason that it's like, oh my gosh, if they have to pay for anything, then they're not going to want to coach here. So like we need to foot the bill for everything that they do. And that's a mentality that's we're just kind of still getting through. Um, but it was much worse back then as far as at paying for absolutely every cost that was needed. Um, so I would have made coaches invest their own money. That is the ultimate litmus test of if a human being wants to do something. Mm -hmm. um, and I also just would have given a good hard look to like if we really want to do this. If the better approach might just be take coaches from the industry and kind of mold them and train them on our culture. And I think that we were just like, nope, 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 not an option. Like, can't do that. Can't take coaches from the outside and coach here. The outside. Um, I was certainly in that mentality, and I, I think I was at the very least a little bit wrong on that and at the very most, like, completely wrong on that. And, you know, the Member to Coach pro program has been awesome. Like, I absolutely love that aspect of our business. I'm very proud of it because – I would put the manual, like, I'm just going to be honest, I'd put the manual and the books that we have written, I would put that up against any industry education for coaches that exists. Yeah, I really absolutely. Would. And it's produced a lot of awesome members to coaches. Like, we have had at least, I can think of 10 who have just been, like, absolutely amazing home runs. Like, some still with us to this day. But there's also some that have been disasters mm -hmm. and 
whether or not they lasted very little or they just quickly flip-flopped. I'm like, I actually don't want to be a coach. I thought I did, but I don't. Um, through, through some fault of their own, through some fault of ours for not vetting it. But it's really um, – it's more recently in the coming years kind of turned into a little bit of a coin, a coin flip on if this person is going to make it to two years as a coach. Yeah. And so um, I think that I can do a way better job – culturally of correcting some of those issues that have caused that. But I'm also just not sure that it's really the right move any longer. We've, we've been able to take some absolutely outstanding coaches uh, from the quote outside who are coaches at the gym or who've been coaches at the gym and they've been uh, amazing. And there's no disconnect whatsoever that I have always projected onto that. Um, and so the, yeah, the, the whole thing, I would just, uh, I'd think long and hard about if I were to do that again, uh, if we could go back in time. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, just to give you some credit when, when we did this, there was not, it, it, it's not the same landscape that it is today. You know, today there's a lot more independent gyms. There's a lot more different styles of training. There's a lot more people that are self-educated or, um, come from a background that lends to our culture. Uh, back in the day when we started this, there wasn't a lot of that out there. So we were in a way kind of forced to say, okay, if we want somebody that's going to be a cultural fit for us, then we do need to take somebody from the inside. Um, because if we go to the outside, likely it's going to be a different culture and they're not going to fit the mentality of a coach that we want here. So, um, you know, I don't think that that's something that we did wrong or anything like that. I think it was the nature of the time that we were in. Um, but for anybody today that is um, looking at doing something like that, you have a lot more options uh, to choose from. Yeah. And I think another aspect of taking members and making them coaches when they don't have any coaching experience is, you know, you think about like a sales company that trains sales, salespeople without experience that mm -hmm. they want to train them on everything. They don't want to fix bad habits. They want to create new ones. Right. And that's a huge benefit, a huge benefit. But one of the downsides is with no experience comes no perspective. And so one of the things I've always noticed in whenever there is disconnect between coaches and co co between the member to coaches that we have at the gym and coaching at Performance 360 is that they don't know what it's like at other gyms. <laughs> and they, they often don't know um, – you know, I would never claim that we are a, a perfect employer. Um, we have many things that we constantly need to improve on. But there are some really good things <laughs> about <laughs> coaching at P360. And uh, sometimes frustration can arise for me when I feel like um, a lot of times people are just a little bit oblivious to this because coaching at a, a full gym that's you know, does pretty well that's been around for 10 years is all that some of the staff would, would have ever experienced. Right. So there's really kind of no benchmark against it. And um, really over the last few years, there's been a really noticeable, the coaches who come in who are quote, like professional full-time coaches prior to coaching at the gym are always just uh, much more, I, I don't know how to say it. Not, I don't want to say happier to be there, but they're, they're, uh, they're, they just kind of get they, they kind of get the operation and the quality of the operation that we have on a little bit deeper level than someone who's not had any experience with with another gym. Right. 
um, and it makes it makes a lot of managerial issues a lot smoother and a lot easier because there is that level of comparison of, you know, I think of one of our coaches now who in her first three months, she came from another, uh, another gym in San Diego. She was just like, this is amazing. Like, I'm so happy to be a part of this gym. Anything that you want, anything you need, like I want to be involved. And this isn't, this is not like a pat ourselves on the back type of thing. It's just to create the context around, you know, when I get comments like that from full-time coaches, it almost takes me back where I'm like, oh, that's, that's nice. Like, that's great to hear. Um, Cause it's easy to lose sight of that when other folks don't have that perspective. Right. Um, you're so good at analogies. I just came up with one on my own that <laughs> was going to kill it. So if you've never had ice cream before and you try vanilla ice cream, you're probably like, this is the best. Never going to, never going to do anything else, but they don't even know about cookies and cream. Rocky no, road. This is a, this is a terrible analogy. <laughs> you just compared the P360 to being vanilla and all the other flavors to being other gems. No, I didn't at all. <laughs> I think you did. I don't know. I, guess I understand what you're going with, though. Yeah, I guess um, I guess that's the end of my analogy uh, attempt. I get it. And there's, you know, so, like I said, some of our best coaches of all time um, and some of our longest tenured coaches are those uh, member to coach conversions. So if I didn't, if I wasn't happy with the program, it wouldn't still be in existence. We actually just hired another person from this program. So I do still very much believe in it. Um, but kind of the takeaway from that is long ago, I would have boosted the barrier to entry and I just would have thought, um, of, I would have thought a little bit harder about, um, the actual need and depended on it less than that, than we did to start. Yep. For sure. Um, okay. So next up on our hiring culture list is you kind of already talked about it, but, um, as your partner, I would have been much more insistent on pushing you out of customer service earlier on. Um, and it kind of speaks into all the things we've already talked about with technology. And I, I mentioned it earlier where anytime you're involved in like direct analysis and decision-making it, it, it every single time results in um, a better collaborative decision. And uh, I feel as though we just could have gotten to that a little bit sooner, a little bit earlier than we have with all the customer service needs created by the difficulty and some of the backend stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's when you do something for so long and you know that you do a really good job at it, it's really hard to hand that off to somebody else, especially when that also involves like the tech aspect that we talked about earlier. So like mm -hmm. part of the reason I've always been not that determined to get out of that is because a lot of the customer service stuff relates to getting memberships set up and changing memberships and using MindBody and the technology, which is like, you know, I'm in the process of training somebody right now to do some of the stuff to get myself at least partially out. And it's just like explaining it to them is you can tell that they're thinking like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> like one of the questions was, we, wait, we have to do this on multiple different areas. Like you can't just cancel a membership and it's done. And it's like, nope. Um, <laughs> So when you try to explain that to somebody, you really realize like, wow, this is a very bad way of doing it. It's a great point. Um, but so, you know, I'm excited to take that next step of getting out of that and hopefully building something that allows somebody else to manage it much easier than I went through. Nice. Um, and so kind of 
similar to you getting me out of customer service, I would have gotten you to get out of the coaching game uh, that first time that you stepped away to focus on the back end. Um, you eventually had to kind of get back into it out of need and necessity, um, but I would have forced you to stay out. Um, you're so much more productive at, on a, at, at a business owner standpoint and that mentality than running a class, and you do an incredible job of running a class, but that's not your biggest asset. Um, and so we need you. We needed you to be uh, in a place where you can lend more to the business than in the day to day. Yeah, and I just I struggled so much with that because I was so I was so like petrified and insecure around the thought of like just becoming the business owner. And it's like, you know, whenever I had that connection to being a coach, I always felt like it was like I hadn't quote like sold out and it's hard to go from like coaching everything to just involved in the business decisions and just involved in running the business and managing and everything that's not seen. And I was, I was kind of long exhausted by um, trying to do both of those things. And I was doing both of them very poorly at the time because of that. But uh, one thing that, you know, being forced to go back into coaches on se coaching on several occasions did is, it made me um, sort of resentful because I, I will not lie and say that year six and seven, I had a really deep passion to continue to coach. And I was so involved in things behind the scenes at that point and tough decisions that would have to be made for the business. And so it was like trying to, trying to do both. I could just, I could never shed that that business owner mentality when I was coaching classes and I would just always see things through that lens. And it just became very hard to get joy and enjoyment out of just leaving that at the door and only coaching. Mm -hmm. And for some reason I could do that the first three years when I was even coaching way more than that. Um, I, I class started, I was a coach only and I loved that. I could leave everything else at the door, but I lost that ability when I had to go back into it. I don't know if it was just because of, you know, slowly shifting into more of that business role or be the break from it altogether and having to come back and, and pick it up and try to recreate momentum. But, uh, the passion was just totally, totally gone for it. And, um, you know, I definitely had to have some tough conversations with myself, uh, in recent years about just like, you know, don't, don't let yourself get brought back into this. And there were several occasions, when I almost had to, you know, COVID, um, coaches subbing out last minute over the last few months and like was very, not, not cause of COVID, just the whole COVID chaos. It was very tempting to tell coaches like, Hey, if you can't coach, let me know. I'll, I'll coach for you. And I never did. I'm very proud of myself for that. <laughs> um, I was ready to cancel a block of classes before doing that. And that would have been a nightmare, but it just, you're, you're right on many levels. Uh, and I would just say that I'm, I'm not, I'm just not, I'm not suited for running classes anymore. I don't think I would do a very good job. Um, I have coaches who would coach circles around me at this point and I'm much happier and productive in that role. And I should have been in that role years before I actually allowed myself to be. Yep. Uh, okay. Point four. Um, kind of pushing on time here, so we'll get through these, but 
um, I would have mandated yearly buy-ins for coaches much earlier than I did. So we kind of mentioned on the onset of just uh, lack of barrier to entry for the member to coach uh, conversion program. And we even took that step further and paid for 100% of a lot of the ongoing education for some of our coaches. And so I definitely want to be a place that helps coaches with their continuing education, but I absolutely do not want to be a place that uh, is a crutch for coaches taking that step on their own. Yep. I think there is something to be said. I think a coach absolutely needs to be investing their own money into their career. Otherwise, it's just kind of like a scholarship and everything is paid for and you just get to kind of reap, I don't want to say the benefits because you're working hard as a coach, but um, you just get to, to uh, reap the rewards of the returns and not the actual investment. Yeah. And so, um, you know, forcing that buy-in on a yearly basis, whether it making coaches recertify for things or, um, you know, cultural things with meeting requirements, whatever it might be, um, it might cause a few coaches to realize, like, you know, uh, I, I think it's time for me to move on. I think it's time for me to explore something else. Maybe I'm just not as passionate as I once was, but if you just let these things kind of go and they never have to, uh, they never have to uh, analyze their own desire to be there, then I think it's, uh, you know, it's never a good thing for either the coach or the gym. Um, so just those things that kind of help, help those internal conversations with coaches of asking themselves every year, like, is this still something that, that suits me? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that takes me into point five. Um, I would have started delegating certain tasks to other people earlier. Um, so we've talked about, you know, getting you and me out of um, some of the roles that we've been in before. But also one of the things I love about what we have going on right now is delegating certain roles and responsibilities to coaches so that they can kind of take and run with whatever that is, um, you know, whether that's social media, whether that's emails, whether that's customer service, whether that's you know managing retail, whatever that is, um, start trusting your team a little bit more. And I think that you find that uh, people are eager to grow their role and you know they're interested in taking on more responsibility. Um, and a lot of the times you find that they do just an amazing job with it when previously you might be worried that you know nobody can do it as good as I can or um, yeah. you know I'm, I'm worried that they're not going to be successful with it and it's like they will be if they're on your team and you've done a good job hiring they're going to be successful and you can allow them to take that and maybe even be more successful than you would be and if they're not successful then you're no worse than where you were yeah good point so it's like Nothing is nothing is permanent, and anything can either be improved or undone, or just move, somebody moved into a role that perhaps better suits them. Yeah. So I agree. I I fall into that bullshit all the time of like nobody can do this like I can do it, and things where it's just it's just absolutely false, and uh, people can do things just as good as you can, oftentimes much better. Yeah. Um, but you're just this is the only version that you know. So you think that it can't possibly be any better until you actually see that it is. Right. Um, all right. So that's our fourth point, hiring and culture. So we went through our model, our locations, technology, and hiring slash culture. So we are kind of pushing over 60 minutes on this, a longer one today. Uh, but I do want to get through, we've talked about all the things that we would do over, but now we just want to really quickly go over the things that we would not only continue to do, but we would double down on those and probably do them, um, do them even stronger, uh, <laughs> if that's the right word. It's like the office when Michael says he's going to start dating Pam's mom even harder. Just <laughs> think about that. 
Um, so yeah, four things, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna breeze through these, and I'm gonna yeah, stop, knock them out. stop after each one, see if you have anything to add. Uh, but our fitness approach—that's one thing that I I, I think we got right. Um, at the time, it was very risque, if you will, to mm-hmm. open a functional fitness gym and not have it be CrossFit. Uh, but we've always felt the benefit in doing things a little bit differently. And so often businesses try to do things differently in everything but the actual service. And so um, I do think we got that one right. Diversity of movements, elements of bodybuilding within functional fitness long before Marcus Philly, functional bodybuilding and anything that came to market um, in an environment that was not based on competition. So um, I do think that we got all of those right. Uh, they will continue to drive us in the future and – um, I would not do a single thing differently about how we did those. Me neither. Not at all. Dynamite drop in. Thank you. Uh, um, so number two, creating value. So we've talked a lot about price and model and things that we would have done differently. Um, and we, you and I still net out. And no matter what that looks like, we would still always want to provide more than we receive. So um, we always want to make sure that our customers feel as though they are um, unquestionably getting more for their money than they would for the same amount of money at another gym. Yep. And there's no way we're ever going to please everybody on that, but we are very big believers in that, and we would not do anything differently about that overall concept of constantly hunting for value in ways that we can elevate the membership here, uh, sometimes paid, sometimes not paid. Yeah, I think um, you know that gap has been pretty large in the past. We have... Uh, vastly over provided for what our membership prices are and we are narrowing that gap a bit now um, but the goal is always to over provide and undercharge to some degree excellent totally agree and uh, number three diamond in the rough real estate so this is one that is uh, just a little bit obvious but I wanted to point it out I think some of the reasons why we've been able to enjoy longevity in this game, if you will, is because we're really, really particular on our real estate. And aside from overlooking a major road that cuts through San Diego, as mentioned earlier, we've always gotten it pretty right as far as the space that we've leased. And uh, we don't go into five digits. Maybe we will in the future. Uh, But we've always tried to keep our spots under $10,000. So a lot of times that puts us off the beaten path, but we actually like being off the beaten path. Uh, We have found success in being a destination spot. Some of our gems are obviously smack dab in the middle of a community, but we're willing to pay less to not be in an ideal location if we feel like we can get folks to commute to us. And it allows us to focus on not necessarily having to create a price that is unsustainable for people. Yeah, this is interesting because, you know, if you watch any business program or mentorship or whatever, you know, it's location, location, location. So, um, you know, the restaurant industry, for example, you want to be prime real estate where everybody's going to see you drive by traffic, walk by traffic. Um, That's great for that industry. But for the gym industry, um, you're trying to find a balance to where, yes, drive by, walk by traffic is great. um, But where can you save and get that get more value per square foot um, while being accessible to people. So it's it's location, location, location still applies, but in a different type of mentality. Uh, yeah, well said. And then fourth and final one is hiring culture over knowledge. So we talked a lot about our hiring process, um, and that is one that we will just always believe in. And we have started to, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want, I don't know how else to say this, but we've started hiring 
uh, more knowledgeable coaches to start. You know, previously we've been very dependent on uh, just a cultural home run, people who are knowledgeable but maybe don't have coaching experience. And so we have started to hire a lot more coaches with experience over the past few years, but that has never been at the cost of the culture. Yep. So it's not like it's an either-or thing. Um, placing the culture first, placing the coach's personality, placing how they're going to mesh with people, um, all of that it will always be a huge part of how we do things because – if somebody knows absolutely everything, but they feel a disconnect with the type of culture that you have, then that's that's never going to work. Um, and we've said tons of times on this podcast, knowledge can be taught. Culture is a lot harder to teach that. Um, and that's something that we do very much believe in and will continue to take with us moving forward. Yep, absolutely. Nothing else to add. All right, guys, that is all uh, four things. We went through uh, things we would change about our model, our locations, our technology. Got some more nice ranting about mind body in there and uh, hiring and our culture. We're definitely excited for all things um, 2021 as we move forward. Lots of challenges lie ahead. Um, but these, these thoughts, these general approaches are definitely going to be at the forefront of not only how we run our current gyms through the rest of the year, but also as we take a look at potential expansion, if that is something that is in the works. All right. Well, we will see you guys next time.